title of the message this morning is Overcoming or Coming Back from Depression. Uh, it's amazing how in the last several hours that uh, ever since I posted it, I've gotten a dozen messages saying, thank you, I need to hear something like this. I'm like, wow. Uh, last night at midnight when I put it on, I had one of our friends from India, or from used to be from Indiana, now lives in Tennessee, and uh, I won't say his name, but just pray for him. His sister contacted me after she saw the post last night and said, my brother called mom to tell her goodbye. He was going to kill himself. I don't know that he did or didn't do it, but I know that he's struggling. And so if you would pray for this individual, I know that he would appreciate that. I don't pretend to have all the answers for everything everybody's going through. I, I can in some days just handle my own junk, <laughs> let alone everyone else's. But I'm so thankful that I have the Word of God that guides me, directs me, gives me comfort through everything that's facing. And even the message that I started last week on Psalm 42 has really opened up a door of opportunity for conversations with many people over the last week that I never expected. And uh, so I'm thankful that God has continued to allow me to preach from Psalm 42. We're going to look at the next verse today in verse 4. But as we looked at Psalm 42, verses 1 through 3 last week, we're reminded of how the psalmist thirsted for the God, for God, for the living God, right? Um, just as the deer panted for the waters. And I just stop right there for a minute. And I want to pretend to myself that I have that kind of thirst every day in my life. I mean, on a good day, I like long, right? On a good day, I want to spend time in God's Word and I want to reflect on what He's teaching me and I want to memorize what He says and I want to apply what He's teaching me to my life so that I can live it out day to day. But I know that there's this one honking big thing in the way. It's my flesh. And it just seems like it gets in the way all the time. Anybody else can relate? I mean, I have the best of intentions. Someone was telling me the other day that you know, their friend did a, uh, a commercial for, uh, one of the, for Ambion, for a sleeping thing. I said, man, I don't, you don't need no medication. Just start praying at night. That's the best medication you can get. You, know, you try to draw near to God, and all of a sudden there's all these obstacles and distractions that hinder us from really drawing close. And here the psalmist is sitting there saying, I want God like a deer wants the water after wandering through the forest. The problem, however, was that there was a disconnect or a disparity between what he desired and what he was feeling, right? The Word of God is clear there. I never picked up on this before. But there's a big disconnect between what he, was, what he wanted and what he was feeling. And we were reminded last week that we all need to lean into what we know, not what we feel, right? Because what we feel may not necessarily be reality. But the perception of the reality is overcoming and it's overwhelming at times. And so as we look at the next verse here in Psalm 42.4, the psalmist tells us a bit more of his inner struggle that he is facing. So look at the verse with me. Psalm 42, verse 4 says, When I remember these things, I pour out my soul within me. For I used to go with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God with a voice of joy and praise of the multitude that kept the pilgrim's feast. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise Him for the help of His countenance. Lord God, as we come before You this morning, God, I ask God that You would help us to understand Your Word. I ask God that You would help us to not only to relate to it, but be able to apply it to our hearts and our lives. And Lord God, I ask that You would help every one of us, Lord, even if things are going good, even especially when things are going good, to lean into You even harder and to, to rely on Your Word and what we know rather than what we feel, God. 
And I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to look at this verse phrase by phrase and take some of the key phrases out of it and really just look at what, what really some of the Hebrew is saying and some of what, how we can apply it to our lives. So the first phrase he says here in verse 4 is, When I remember these things. It literally should be translated, and it is translated in some translations as, These things, comma, I will remember. Right? Uh, Bob Jones, I think, said it best. Bob Jones Sr. said, Those who forget the past are what? Condemned to repeat it. I think God allows circumstances in our lives so that we can what? Just get angry about them? Get frustrated over them? Develop anxiety over them? No, God allows things in our lives so that we will what? Learn from them. And I think oftentimes we either learn from them and we lean into who God is and what He's trying to do in our lives and the, even the chipping and the molding and, and, and everything that He's trying to do to make us more like His Son. The bottom line is oftentimes we get more angry and upset and frustrated over the things that He allows rather than asking God what He wants us to learn from it. But I believe that I think it's a good thing to not forget the struggles that God allows us to go through. And here's why. Because God does not make any mistakes. Right? Do you believe that? God does not make any mistakes. And if we don't look at as God has allowed this thing in my life for me to learn from, then we might as well say, God, you made a mistake on this one. I don't know why you did it, but you shouldn't have done it. I don't know why you allowed this guy, but you shouldn't have allowed it. But God makes no mistakes. And we have to remember that. I learned something interesting about this phrase this week. The verb used here in the original language is a future tense. Say, well, what big deal does that make? Well, it really does make a big deal. You see, it's not just about remembering the past. I mean, he's very clear about this. He says, I, when I remember these things, he says, when I look back over the things that God has allowed in my life during this time frame, then all of a sudden the verb is a future tense? Well, how does that work out? Well, the remembering is the past, but allowing the things that he's remembered to affect and impression his mind and heart for the future. He says, I'm remembering them, not just to remember them so I never forget, but I'm remembering them so that I can use those things that have happened to help me do better in the future for God's glory. So it's not just, well, it happened, oh well, big deal. I, it happened, I went through it, I experienced it, I was working my way through it. Why? So that I can learn how to work through it and then apply it to my life as I move forward. And so when you start thinking about that, that, that is really cool. And so then he says, I wonder if we willingly choose to learn from the struggles. I don't know about you, but when we're in the midst of it, the last thing that we want to do is what? Well, Lord, what do you have for me to learn? I'm waiting. It seems that that's the hard thing to do. The easy thing is to get irritated, upset, frustrated. Pick up our phones. Get on Facebook and put a post that might generate a little bit of sympathy or empathy you know and so maybe what's wrong you know i'm praying for you hey I, I, i'm gonna pm you <laughs> you know and person personally message you and we, we want to know what's going on in somebody's life because we we put it out there so that they'll ask questions but when's the last time we sat down honestly and said this god what i'm going through really stinks it's really hard and i don't know what to do about it but rather than getting upset and frustrated and, and, and soaking back, I'm, uh, God, can you teach me? And draw in to what God's Word is saying. And I wonder if we willingly choose to learn from the struggles if we, or if we try harder to forget them. I think it's easier to try to forget them. Because hurry up and get out of it. I know everyone kept asking me, well, hey, Pastor, how are you doing? I, it can't end fast enough. 
It just can't. I want to get back to where I can lift and pull and push the three things they said not to do for the next six months. I want to start doing the things that I always used to do. And I just want it to end. And God's like, no, not, not time yet. And I find myself having a hard time dealing with what the circumstances of what God has allowed me to go through. And I just would rather get over it rather than learn from it. Um, for the psalmist, the things that he's experienced will serve to help him and encourage him in the future. If we would look at it as the psalmist looked at it, he goes, I want this water. The living, I want this God, the living God, just as a deer wants the water. I want that. But we also have to realize that's not his reality. And we saw that last week. That wasn't his reality. Because the end of verse 3, or uh, I'm sorry, the end of verse 2 says, When shall I come and appear before God? Well, God never left him. The bottom line is he wasn't feeling God's closeness. But the reality, God was there. And he's always there. Then he says, I pour out my soul within me. That next phrase there in Psalm 42. He says, it's basically as though the grief the psalmist is experiencing is, is, is beginning to lessen just a little bit. Uh, hence the word picture, I pour. Literally expressing how the heaviness of the soul is beginning to melt and become tender. You say, is that all there? Yes, it really is. If you look at the language, he says, I'm beginning to pour my life out. You see, before he couldn't pour it out. It was thick and it was heavy on his heart. It was, it was absorbing him. I want this, I'm experiencing this, and the two are not going to meet, and it's just heavy on my heart. And he says, now I'm beginning to pour out my life. It's as though God is beginning to work and to soften and to make his heart tender again. So it's a word picture here. You know, this word, this, or this phrase, excuse me, is only used like four times in all the Word of God. I pour out my life. And it's always used in a time of difficulty. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 15, you don't need to turn there, but it's when Hannah was going through a time of difficulty. You know, everyone thought she was drunk and she's going to have a baby. No, that's impossible. You know, and everyone's, you know, you know they said she was laughing. And, and you know, this difficult time in her, in her, in her life. And she says, I'm pouring out my life. This phrase always comes in the midst of difficulty. Uh, Job, in the same way when Job experienced affliction, and his three friends were just right there cheering him on, saying, good job, Job. No. It came in a time of difficulty and hardship. And Job realized that if he was going to get through it, who did he have to lean into? God. His three friends weren't there. His three friends... Curse God and die, more or less. Well, Job, if you would just repent of this, and Job, if you would just do that, then all these things would go away. I mean, everything he had had been stripped from him. And then here he is with nothing left, saying, I pour out my life. See, the psalmist is going through a time when he felt that not only the reality of the difficulty and the struggle that he was going through, but at this point he says, I'm beginning to pour out my life. Why? Because there was something... He had to be emptied of himself to be filled with God. Does that make sense? Some of us are so filled with ourselves that God has no place in our lives. Let's be honest. You say, well, Pastor, do you really believe that? Yeah, I do. I really do. Look at the world going on around us. People who claim to know Jesus. People who claim to be Christians. People who go to church, so to speak. And yet you look at their lives, they're in shambles. Not because of God disappearing 
uh, abandoning them, but because of them abandoning God. Because of choices that they make and forgetting that choices have consequences. And the reality is, we need to lean in to what we know, not what we feel. We have to remember that all of our struggles are ultimately only for a season. And that's one of the hardest things to realize. When we're in the midst of a difficulty, call it depression, call it anxiety, call it whatever you want to call it. And by the way, those are words that we weren't supposed to talk about 20 years ago. Remember? I mean, just, just read your Bible and pray it all go away. I mean, I remember hearing that. But it's real. And it's not about what medication you're on or not on or what works for this and what doesn't work for that. The reality is, have I surrendered this situation to the Lord? God uses doctors to help us. There's nothing wrong with that. And we need to realize it's not just about, well, just pray more, just draw closer, and it'll all go away. Sometimes God doesn't take it away overnight. Realize that? Sometimes it's a battle. You know, I, I, I get a kick, and maybe you, you, can, you have the right to be wrong, as Johnny Hunt says, and you have the right to disagree with me on what I'm about to say. I remember people saying for years that with mental health and, and things, you know, that, that the reality is, well, God would never, God, that, you know, you just can't take pills. You just can't go to the doctor. You just can't do that because that's, that's just God would never do that to you. Well, you know what? Sometimes God allows things. Sometimes God allows things to be in your life for a long time. Sometimes God allows those things to be there for a lifetime. And here's where I'm saying, you can disagree with me. Paul says, I have this thorn in the flesh. And everyone wants to start guessing what that thorn in the flesh was. Oh, it was his back. He had a really bad back. Anybody heard that one? He couldn't walk very good. Oh, it was his eyesight. His eyesight was really bad and he had a hard time reading. Oh, no, 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 no. He, he was crumpled over and he, just, he was kind of almost, you know, from being whooped and beaten and everything else. You know, if you just read God's Word, it tells you what the thorn in the flesh was. A thorn in the flesh, comma, a messenger of Satan to buffet him. End comma. You can disagree with me all you want, but it says right there what a thorn in it was. Do you ever realize that God says, I'm, allowing the, I'm letting this, this thorn in your flesh be there. Why? So that you can realize that I am enough for you, even though you're going through a difficult time. I'm going to let this thorn remain even though it's a challenge to you. I'm going to let the thorn remain even though you don't like it. Because my grace is sufficient. Do you believe that? He said, my grace is It means it's enough. He didn't say I'm going to take it away. He didn't say it's never going to never be there again if He does take it away. He says, my grace is sufficient even amidst the difficulty. I don't know about you, but I would never wake up in the morning and say, great day to have Satan buffet me. Bring it on, bud. I am never going to do that. But I'm just going to tell you, there are days that God allows things that I would not choose. Is His grace sufficient? There are things that God allows in my life that I would never choose. His grace is sufficient. You have to know that. Everything that we can go through is ultimately only for a season. Even if that season is our lifetime. Why? Because what is your life? It is even as a vapor that appeareth for a little time then vanishes. So if I'm a child of God and I know Jesus Christ, even if I live 90 years on this earth, it's just temporary. My home is in heaven where I will receive a new body. 
right? God's word says, and you've heard me say this before, our, you know, Chronicles and Psalms talks about our life being as dust. It talks about our life being as uh, smoke that's there for a little while, then gone. Our life is but, in First Peter, grass and a flower that fades. In all these areas, our life is just a speck on the time frame of eternity. But man, I tell you, when you're going through a difficult time and a season of depression and anxiety, it feels like a lifetime. And that's where we have to lean into what we know, not what we feel, that God is there. We'll talk about that more at the end. But he says, I used to go with a multitude. Look at this in Psalm 42, in verse 4. He says, I pour out my soul within me. Why? For I used to go with the multitude. He's remembering a time that he was with the multitude. He was with the crowd. What does that imply? If I used to do it, that means I'm not doing it now. Now, bear with me just for a minute. What is the easiest thing to do when I'm going through a difficult trial, time of anxiety, time of frustration, a time of depression? What is the easiest thing to do in my own life when I'm going through it? Retreat. Get by myself. Nobody understands. They're not going through what I'm going through. They don't, they, they don't feel what I feel. And we tend to retract from everything that we know we should be doing. And it seems like it doesn't matter how much we know. It's what we feel and what we, we cling to. And what I feel is I'm alone, so I'm going to get alone. He says, I used to go with the multitude. When I think about that, that's sad. There was a group of people that I used to do things with. And what did he do? He says, I went to the house of God. I used to go to church. I used to go there. What's it say? I used to worship with joy and praise. I used to have these instruments and I used to dance in the services and I used to be a part of a lively service that was worshiping God. I used to celebrate the holy days. He says there at the end of verse 4. He says that with a multitude that kept the pilgrim feast. He says, I used to be involved in these holy celebration days. I used to do this. I used to do that. But that presupposes the fact that right now I'm not doing any of that. Because the easiest thing to do when we're going through a time of depression or anxiety is to retreat and get alone. And that's the time that you need to go back to what you know, not what you feel. Right? Our tendency is to isolate ourselves from others when we need to insulate ourselves with others. You see that again? Our tendency is to isolate ourselves from others when, our, when we need to insulate ourselves with others. That means we need to get around other people. Other people who will encourage us. Lift us up. Hold our arms up. I don't know about you, but I've been thankful during this time of healing that God has allowed some Aaron and hers in my life. You know, I don't know about you, but Moses, as strong as a leader as he was, was weak. There's not a person in this room that is so strong that you don't need someone. You might act like it, you might think it, but you're not that strong. Trust me, you're not. If you think you are, watch out. We need Aaron and hers. You say, all these things that are happening in this world around us, the violence, the buzzwords of our day that are reality, the mental health issues that are out there. You know, most of these people, even the last one, he put it out there that he was going to do it. Where were his friends? Where were the people around him? 
There are people around us. I don't know about you, but I, I'm just amazed at how often I'll be waking up in the middle of the night and God will just put a name on my mind. What do you do with that? Uh, turn over and roll, go to sleep. Take a minute and pray. And then call them up. Text them. Send them a message. There are so many people around us that are struggling. I never thought I'd see a day where three- and four-year-olds were put on all kinds of medications. It's a crazy day that we live in. Anybody agree? How many think it's going to get better? Raise your hand if you think it's going to get better. Wow, nobody. Imagine that. These are a day, we're living in a day that we need to lean into what we know. So, the natural thing to do is to run, to hide, to get alone. The right thing to do is lean into God and those who will encourage us. So how do we apply these things? I want to give you about ten verses I'm going to close with. Say ten verses? Yep, I'm going to give you ten verses. And if you don't know them, you should write them down. Maybe Ken can get them up there. I'm not sure. But the bottom line is ten verses that you've got to claim during times of difficulty. Number one, Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. He says, as the deer pants for the water brooks. That's a good thing. He says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Even if you don't feel it, do it because you know it's right and God's going to honor it. Even if you don't know what to do, lean into God's Word, hunger and thirst for righteousness, the living Word of God, and know that He is going to honor that desire. He will honor that. Second one, John seven thirty-seven and 38. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. He who believes in Me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. You want to be filled with the water of God? Draw near to Jesus. It is so easy to draw to everything else. It's easier... I, I don't know about you, but I get kind of crazy. Like one of those late nights that you can't sleep once in a while, you watch like dumb stuff on TV. Anybody like that? I, I do that once in a while. Can't sleep, so you watch it. There's a show called, uh, is it Greed? Crime and Greed? I forget what it's called. But it tells us stories of people who grow up and then all of a sudden they make it somehow successfully in whatever field that they're in, but then the wealth that they obtain somehow takes over their life and it drives them to more and more and more and more till they end up ruining their lives because of the strong desires to get more. And it's amazing when you start thinking about it is that how many of these people are addicted to getting more things, to do more stuff, to go more places, and they're all in an effort to fill a void that they're fighting inside internally. There's never going to be enough money. There's never going to be enough trips. There's never going to be enough stuff. There's never going to be enough places to go to satisfy the void that they have. But doggone it, they're going to try. And that's where we have to give, remember what it is that we are to hunger and thirst for. And we should be thirsting for righteousness in the living Word of God. And when we're going through the midst of those difficult days, Psalm 23.3 says, He restores my soul. doesn't say more money will restore it. doesn't say medication will restore it. It doesn't say a friendship will restore it. Ultimately, God works through His Word. 
And he filters down and gives us wisdom to handle all the other stuff, right? He restores our soul. And he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. We are his namesake. Just like your children are your namesake. And you know what? Anybody have children that have ever frustrated you? Raise your hand. Some of you are not telling the truth. You're lying through your teeth. You know they are, but your children are watching you. Anyway, even though your children frustrate you at times, what is it you still catch yourselves doing over and over again? Helping them, encouraging them, helping them with their struggles and needs. Why? Because they're yours, right? They're yours. You have a reason. You feel what. Whether they're still in your home or not, you feel a responsibility to help them. Some of you have said, no, you're out of the house, you're done. Eh." But for many of us, there is a draw to help them even though they're gone. Why? Because they're part of you. They bear your name. Jake, Todd. David, Todd. Andrea, Todd. They're my name's sake. Put that in there. He leads me in paths of righteousness, what? For his name's sake. He wants what's best for you as his child because you're part of him. Does any parent not want what's best for their kids? Any legitimate parent? No. God as our Father wants what's best for us. And that's why He said He will restore our soul. And how does that happen? When we draw near to Him. When we lean into Him. When we want to know Him more than anything else. We talk about this phrase of, or this idea of being in a love relationship with God. say, well that sounds quacky. Are you in a love relationship with God? you love Jesus, His Son? Because it really does reveal how close we are to Him. Psalm 34, 17 and 18 says, The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears. It doesn't stop there. It says, And delivers them out of all their troubles. Do you believe that? My frustrating days, my depressing days, my anxiety-filled days when I don't know what's going on, when I can't figure things out and I can't, I can't seem to figure out how this thing's going to change and how this is going to turn around in all these areas. And then God just says, I hear and I deliver you out of all your troubles. Do you believe that? Because if, God, if God's not willing to do that, He's a liar. Let's be honest. Either He's a liar or He's not. And then it goes on and says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. When we humble ourselves before God and cry out to Him, He is there for us. Now, does that mean everything's going to just like snap my finger and be done? No. It doesn't say that. He says, yeah, I'll, I'll deliver you. Sometimes the delivery doesn't happen instantaneously. Sometimes people struggle for years and all of a sudden then deliverance comes. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. 
Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Is God a liar? Yes or no? No. That means when I'm going through a bout of depression, who's there for us if no one else is? Who's there for us when we don't seem to see anyone around us? God. He says, I am there with you. He says, I'm your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. God is not a liar. He's not a God who changes. He's a God who honors His Word. In fact, God's Word says, let God be true and every man a liar. Man will fail you. God never will. <clears throat> then He tells us in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to Me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and what? I will give you rest. Amazing. I, I, it just blows my mind how many people want to go to Facebook and tell the world their problems. They're not going to get solved there. You can't resolve conflict on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or Snapchat or whatever else will come on next. You can't fix your problems there. Your friends are going to fail you at times. But God never will. In fact, in Deuteronomy 31.8, write this down. And the Lord, He is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He'll not leave you nor forsake you. Do not be dismayed. Over and over He says, I will go before you and I'm going with you. And I'm not going to leave you. So if I'm sitting here in my depression, going through a difficult time, wondering what's going on, has God forsaken me? Yes or no? No, He hasn't. But there's an opportunity for me to turn my focus towards Him and say, God, I know You're there. Give me Your strength. Give me Your heart. Give me Your focus. Romans, I'm sorry, Psalm 3.3. But You, O Lord, are a shield for me. My glory and the One who lifts up my head. Remember, we are the children of who? God. I remember very clearly when I was a young man in junior high, my dad had this thing for, I don't know, for a while. He'd say, sit up. I am sitting up. And he would come up behind me and he would grab my shoulder and pull it back a little bit. Anybody else have a dad that did that? used to drive me nuts, too. used to drive me insane. But my dad would come over there and he'd go like this. and he'd sit, when, He goes, when you sit in a chair, sit up. Sit up. He used to irritate the fire out of me. And then he'd come over beside me. He goes, when an adult is looking at you, you look at him in the face. And he used to grab my chin and just kind of gently pull it up. I will never forget that as long as I live. It used to irritate me as a teenager. But looking back, I see how my dad was training me. My dad couldn't do a lot. My dad was handicapped. Most of my life he was in a wheelchair. Second part of my life at home. He was in a wheelchair. Most of my days he was in the hospital growing up. There wasn't a lot he could do with me physically. But when he was there, it was the little things that I remember. You're not always the nicest guy. <laughs> this is what it is. My dad would help a complete stranger and say, y'all, you got this. Not help us, help us. But he'd help a complete stranger because, well, he knew, didn't know them, he knew us. 
You, can, you figure it out. They, they need help. My dad was unique. But when it came to training how we walk, how we talk, how we address people, look adults in the eyes. Don't say yeah. Say yes. That, to this day, that kind of bothers me when people say yeah. Not because it's wrong. It's just because I remember my dad saying yes, don't say yeah. It just sounds so sloppy and ugh. But anyway, why did he do that? Why? My glory and the one who lifts up my head. When we are going through times of depression, anxiety, frustration, loneliness, what is our tendency? Not only to retreat, but to sit soak and sour. Why? Because what we're going through it really feels real. It is. It hurts. We feel alone. And we sit here in the corner, away from everyone else, tensing not to answer the phone, tensing not to go out with friends, just to sit here. And then God comes along and says, My glory. And the one who lifts up my head. He, why is he lifting up his son's head? To let him know it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. You're going to get through this. Why? He says, I'm a shield for you. He says, it's going to be okay. You're going to get through this. And then he reminds us through Romans 8, 38, 39, for I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor principalities, or nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? He loves us so much that He doesn't leave us. We talked about this a little bit in Sunday school this morning. Does God ever forsake us? No, but there are times that we forfeit His blessings because we've turned our back. There are times that we say no to God or we say, no God, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do what I want. He's like, over and over in Scripture you see examples of people wanting their way when God said, I'd rather you do this. I think the most obvious one is with King Saul. We want a king. We want somebody that we can touch and feel. But I'm your God. No, we want somebody we can see. All right, you're not going to like it, but you can have it. And all the problems that that causes sometimes when we push our way and our will to make it more important than God's. And that's throughout Scripture. When we push our will and our way above His will and His way. And can I close with this before we come back to Psalm 42? Psalm 42 verse 11 says, Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Why? Then he gives us the key in the next phrase. Hope in God. And that word hope there is a what? It's a verb. It's a verb. It means it's an action. It's something that you are to do. Hope. Anybody ever seen Shawshank Redemption? Hope is a good thing. Maybe it's the best thing. I love that. But he says hope. It's an action verb. It's something you are to do. He says hope in God. Why? For I shall yet I praise Him to the help of my countenance and my God. 
He says, God's going to get me through this. Let's go back to Psalm 42 just for a moment here. There's this still this disconnect. He wants to draw God close to God, to the living God, the holy God. And yet he says later, when shall I come and appear before you? I believe that God never left him. I still believe that God will never leave us. Because he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said that he that draws near, near to me, I will draw nearer to him. I think there is a moment in the psalmist's life here where he says, I know what I want, but I know what I feel. And so many that are going through depression experience just that. I know what I want, and I know what I feel. And they're two different things. And yet, it says my soul is thirsting. Is it entirely possible to show up to church every week saying, I want to know more about God, and then go home and feel like you're in depression? Yeah. Happens all the time. Is it entirely possible to look back and say, well, I used to hang out with my friends and do things at church and be involved with other believers and go out to eat once in a while, and, and now I do nothing. But I show up at church and worship the Lord and do all these things, and yet my life is in despair. Yes, it's entirely possible. But the way to overcome it is not to continue to be isolated when you should be insulated with the believers of God's Word. And I found for me, I'll just speak for myself for a minute. When I'm going through a difficult time, my desire is just leave me alone. I'll get through this. I got this. I don't need you. I got this. I I can handle this. Anyone else? Guys, especially? We got this. Leave me alone. What's wrong? Nothing. Just leave me alone. Everybody and their brother knows something's wrong, but you're not going to admit it. The first step is humility. And there's humility in a lot of different areas. Acknowledging that we don't have it all together. Acknowledging that I can't do it by myself. Acknowledging that I'm not where I thought I was. And I need to draw near to God. I need to lean into His Word more than I'm doing. It says, when I remember these things, there was a time when He could look back And it was a slow, methodical remembrance. But with purpose of saying, I want to use this so that I can grow through it next time. Let me tell you a story of this. I'm almost done. So the second or third week that David was down in Texas with his new job working at uh, the Performance Center, um, his boss came by one day when he was just about done putting everything together. And his boss just kind of looked over and he goes, and he saw a grease container. And he goes, did you put grease on that? And David said, yeah. He goes, oh, you got to take it apart and don't put grease on it. He goes, you have to find a solvent and get that thing off. He goes, on a gas engine, you put grease on it, but on a diesel engine, you don't. So David says, no big deal. I said, was he upset? He goes, no, not at all. He wasn't upset at all. He said, he just said, you got to take it apart. You got to wipe the grease off, put a solvent on it, make sure there's no residue left on it, and put it back together. He says, you'll be fine. So in the process of doing that, David said it was no big deal, but I lost two hours. I had to take it all apart, wipe the grease off, put the solvent on it, make sure there's no residue, put it back together, and we're done. It's fine. It's over. And I got to thinking about that later. You know what mistake that he'll never make again? 
Why? Because someone gently said to him, oh, wait a minute, I should have told you, but on a, yeah, you put grease on a gas engine, but you don't put grease on a diesel engine on this particular piece. Because someone gently helped him through that. He's not going to make that mistake again. Because he'll remember that, oh, wait a minute, I don't put grease here. I think that's what it's like when we go through difficulty. When God helps us through it and we realize what it is that gets us through it, and let me just say, and I want to make this super crystal clear. I remember as a kid growing up, this phrase, just pray it'll go away. Just pray it'll go away. No, no, it doesn't. Sometimes it doesn't go away right away. But what it does is it acknowledges to the one that we're praying that we cannot do this alone and that we need him to help us through it. And when he gives us the ability to get through the struggle that we're facing, we begin to look back and say, I remember what I went through. And I'm going to use what I learned through that to make it through the next time. See, in a perfect world, we wouldn't have to deal with depression or anxiety or frustration. But we don't live in a perfect world. We live in a very broken world. Right? And it's all around us. And sometimes God uses people to encourage us, to guide us, to instruct us through those times of difficulty and depression. Sometimes God uses medication to help us and to guide us through those times of difficulty and depression. Sometimes God uses circumstances. But ultimately, it's God who works in and through us. Ultimately, it is God, right? It's our humility in saying, God, I can't do this. That's the psalmist coming out saying, God, I know what I want, but I also know what I'm feeling, and I can't do this. But he can. And when you couple that with everything else that we see in Scripture, God is just so clear that he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You that draw near to me, I will draw near to you. He says, I'll be your shield. I'll be your strength. I'll go with you. And over and over and over, he's reassuring us and encouraging us that he is enough. He's enough. He is enough. Do you believe that? He's enough. But it's going to take humility on our part to say, I can't do it. And that's okay. I realize that I'm not as strong as I thought I was in so many areas. I'm just not. I used to think, man, I got, I got this. I, I can do this. Man, I am such a weakling anymore. Not just physically. I mean, there was a day I benched 425 pounds. I could put it up there. My, coming out of high school, I was strong as an ox. I did logging for four summers up in Canada, working on a mission field. And, man, give me something. Oh, have Ken move it. He'll move it. I, I, there's nothing I wouldn't tackle. Nothing. You know how long that lasts? A couple years then it's over. I'm serious as a heart attack. I I would be hard-pressed to lift 100 pounds right now before the heart problem. I just don't have the strength I used to have. You know why that is? Our bodies tend to what? Age and break down. I was sharing with Jake some time ago with problems that people face as they age. And he looked at me and goes, Dad, I just, I, just, I just hate that. You see, when when someone's leg is broken, 
You can put a cast on it and it fixes it. You break a finger, you put a splint on it and tape it, it's fine in a couple days. You know, you, you know, your heart gets clogged, they put new veins in it and have heart surgery and then it, you move on. But what happens when it's your mind? There's no band-aids, there's no medications. There's certain things that in life that you just can't fix. And if you live long enough, they're going to affect you. That's life. And I've realized that as I get older, yeah, I'm not old yet, but I'm not young anymore either. I'm not 25 anymore. The things I did at 25, I cannot do now. I remember a couple years ago, we had a mission team come here. And we thought we were going to be funny. We did Indian leg wrestling out there in the fellowship hall. Man, I thought I can whoop this. This is good. You know, 40 years old and 45 years old and messing around playing Indian leg wrestling out in the foyer. And all of a sudden, I heard a rip. And my friend who's a pastor in Alabama, I heard the rip on his hamstring. It was solid black and blue the next day. And I felt so bad. It's like, you dummy. He goes, he goes, it's my own fault. He goes, I'm not 25 no more. I know, but we sure want to act like we are. Dummies. But it's no different when it comes to life. He said this, it bothers me. She did that, it bothers me. So-and-so did this, I can't deal with it. This circumstance is too hard. This This situation is too big. In all these things, we need to learn to humble ourselves before God. Say, God, I can't do it. And it's okay. But when you resist humility, you will continue to struggle. Because without humility, you won't get the help you need. Without the humility, you won't put yourself before God. Without humility, you're not gonna, the circumstances are not going to change. God says, I will be with all those who have a contrite spirit. He wants us. Remember, we're his children. We bear his name. And he's the lifter of our head saying, it's not going to be this way forever. It's going to get better. But we have a responsibility to humble ourselves before him to see that overcome. Lord God, I pray that you would work in our hearts. Lord, I know that there are many that struggle with depression and anxiety. and Lord, I know that for many of them, they, they're trying on their own to overcome it. And I know for many, Lord, they've tried everything else to overcome it. But Lord, help us to realize that you are there for us as, your, as our Father. That you do have the answers. You do have the solution. And those solutions may be varied and vast, but the base of that solution is you at the very core of of things that need to change, you're there helping us, guiding us, leading us even, to take the steps that we need to take to overcome. And Lord God, if the psalmist was struggling with it, why would we not realize that we're going to struggle with it? If the people you put in the Bible struggled with it, why would we not realize that we struggle with it? It's real. But Lord, you give hope. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. And may God, you show yourself strong. May your presence be not only known factually, but felt 
emotionally, Lord, that you're there with us. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, I just want to ask a couple questions here as we do each and every week. You have an opportunity to respond to the things that we've heard. Say, Pastor, if I'm honest with myself, there's areas of depression, anxiety that I'm struggling with. Things that I just don't know how to overcome. Things that I'm just weary in. But God's spoken to my heart. I need a prayer. I need, I need help from God's Word. And by His grace, I'm turning to His Word. I'm turning to His Scripture. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that? Yes, yes, yes. Yes, all over. All of us. Many of us in this room. Not everyone, but many. It just tells us how frequent this is. But it's also a vast reminder to draw close to God. He has the answer. He has the solution for us. If we're willing to turn to Him. His word is true. What He says is true. And that means He'll be there for us. He'll help us through it. So if you lifted your hand, your heart just a moment ago, let me challenge you to do this right here, right now. Take a moment and say, God, I surrender. And you fill in the blank of whatever it is that's causing you angst. Whatever it is that you are going through, the depression, the frustration, the anxiety. One area that we've not touched base on is just expectations. But sometimes those expectations that are unrealistic cause another whole set of problems. Because they're not realistic. But maybe this morning you need to just surrender those to God. God, I surrender. And fill in the blank. And say, God, I give it to you. And then after that, say, Lord, help me to draw near to you. Help me to lean into your word. Take those scriptures that we know to be true and memorize them. Claim them. Pray them back to God. Take a moment and say, God, I surrender myself to you. I surrender these situations to you. I commit myself to you and to your working in my life to do in and through me what I cannot do in and through myself. Take a moment in prayer. Seal to God. all stand our feet. Lord, as we come before you, once again, just be with each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning. Lord God, that you would just show yourself strong. May they sense your presence. May they lean into your word. And God, may they see victory this week as they continuously, Lord, try to turn everything over to you. I pray that you grant victory, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.